Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, folks. This is episode 11 of Breaking Down Collapse. Welcome back. Good work, man. Thanks. Thanks for letting me try the intro. I've never done the intro for the podcast before. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I actually think you're going to be doing it from now on because I hate doing them, and that sounded great. Maybe a little over the top. I kind of had the cheesy radio voice. Well, not only do I get to do the intro today, but I get to kind of run the show today. Yeah, I'm super excited. I got a week off of having to write an episode and do the research. Yeah, well, for those who are listening to this podcast for the first time, up to this point, it's been a journey for me in which I've been able to learn from Corey about the fundamentals of collapse, sort of collapse 101. And now we're starting to dive deeper into the specifics and subtopics. And as Corey has been teaching me, there are some things that he hasn't brought up that I just notice play a part in all of this. And so I volunteered to bring some things to the table this week that will help build on the discussions we've been having. What I've taught so far has been from a really high level, right? And we're kind of slowly zooming in on it. But Kellen brings maybe some more like granular information about specifics in society that contribute to collapse. And so it's going to be kind of fun. I think we'll do this every once in a while where we'll have Kellen do an episode and you guys won't have to hear my stupid voice as much. Well, my voice isn't any better. But I do feel like even though we've been friends for a long time and we grew up in the same area, in fact, people probably don't know this, but we work at the same company, I feel like I do have some things about my background that are different than yours. And I might bring a new perspective and and be able to see some things that relate that you maybe wouldn't see. 
what Kellen's trying to say is he's way smarter than me. <laughs> he's he's actually my boss's boss. So I have to be careful what I say here not to uh, not to get a pay cut at work. Anyway, I say that in all seriousness. Kellen is extremely smart. He's got his bachelor's degree in family consumer and human development and an MBA. And Kellen has always fascinated me with like his depth of knowledge in a lot of these topics. So I'm really excited to see um, what this episode will be about. Well, thank you for those kind words and building up my credibility here. <laughs> but I want to take a step back because when you were first starting to teach me about collapse in the early episodes of this podcast, one of the things we talked about is a complex society and just how complex we've become. And I've, I've thought about that quite a bit. One of the key parts of understanding how complex of a society we are is understanding just how specialized we are. And specialization is great. You do your task and you do it really well and I do my task and I do it really well. That's all good and fine and it allows us to produce things at scale. What it means is that we have a higher gross increase collectively, but it doesn't happen without that added complexity. So there are benefits to a complex society. We can consume more and more stuff and there's a lot more convenience, but the trade-off is that it robs us of our independence. We're very dependent on other people around us and the whole system. So with that in mind, kind of diving into some of the things I want to introduce have you ever used DoorDash or like Uber Eats, one of these services that will deliver food to you? Yeah, I used DoorDash one time when I was on vacation in California with my family and we didn't have a car. Well, you're probably somewhat of an anomaly because I know people are using it more and more. But let's just go to that example. The one time you used DoorDash, do you remember what food you got? Honestly, I don't remember. It was probably fast food or something. Okay, so let's just, this is going to be kind of interactive here, but let's just try and trace that all the way back to the source. So did the delivery guy make the food? No, I hope not. <laughs> no, all he did is deliver it, right? So who made it? I mean, I don't, let's say it was McDonald's. The people at McDonald's prepared it. Yeah, the teenager at McDonald's that prepared the food, did he get the ingredients himself? No, I'm sure it was just prepackaged and probably pre-cooked. So who, who do you think sourced that? Like who was the one in charge of making sure those ingredients ended up at that McDonald's? I'm sure it came from a distributor, probably a McDonald's distributor. And do you think the person in charge of distributing that food to that branch of McDonald's or that franchise actually processed the ingredients? No, I'm sure they got it from a manufacturer. And did the processor or the manufacturer grow the food? No, that would have come from various farms or ranches. Yeah, and do you think those farms produce their own seed that they use to plant <laughs> the ingredients? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> came from a different distributor who had their own manufacturers and farms. Yeah, and, and we could say the same thing for like, did that farmer or that farm go through the process of creating their own fertilizer? Well, no, there's a whole supply chain for that and a whole list of people that would be involved in that right? Right. Let's say it's a farmer. Did the farmer make his own farm equipment? He got his farm equipment from a tractor dealership. And did that tractor dealership mine the ore to get the iron to make the steel? You know, we, we can go down all these paths and you realize just to get that food that you consumed, there may have been hundreds of people involved. You know, it's crazy. I As you talk about this, I think about one of my old jobs that I used to do, we did staffing. 
and I was the account executive. So I'd go out and talk to the managers at all these different companies. And one of our clients was a salt lick manufacturer for cows. And I was amazed at how like actually big and intense this process was. His entire business was built around salt licks that had a certain amount of nutrients and whatever in it for the cows and the horses to be able to lick to get the nutrients that they need, you know, in order for those cows and horses to then be used however they needed to be used, whether it was for ranching or, or whatever. But it's just cra- it was crazy to me to see that and think of how granular of a thing that was, but how important it was. And there was people paying tens of thousands of dollars to get these salt licks delivered to them all across the nation. That's such a good example. And it's just crazy, right? It's just that example is just there to demonstrate how specialized we are and how complex we are. So let's say, going back to the example of like the food that you got from your delivery, let's say you wanted to own the process yourself from start to finish. Where would you start? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the tools and equipment? Do you have the skills and the practice? I mean, your honest answer, what would you say? I would say I can't even keep a flower bed alive in my front yard. So no, I I wouldn't have anywhere near the expertise. And just like you said, I think, well, I started a farm. But then it's like, well, even if I had the knowledge to start a farm, I don't have a tractor and I don't have the fertilizer and all these different things that I would need to source from someone else. Exactly. And when we talk about the path that we're on that is leading us toward collapse, people sometimes say like, well, if everything went downhill, then... I would just tear up my grass and I would learn to garden. But for those people, it's like, where would you get the seed? And where would you get the tools? And even if you knew what tools you were looking for, those things would all be sold out immediately because everyone else would want those as well. And even then, like if stuff was really getting bad, you wouldn't have time to go through a full harvest cycle. So the point is just to say that we are extremely vulnerable and fragile because we're so dependent. And that comes from our complexity. So if anything, that's kind of just a review of what we've talked about before when we talked about complexity, but I want to take it a step further in something that I see, and it's a shift that has happened in consumerism, which is subscriptions. Hmm. You know, Corey, you and I actually work in the SaaS industry, which is software as a service, and the software that the company that we work for sells just like most softwares, is a a cloud-based solution that people can use on a subscription basis. And I read a book recently. It's called Customer Success. It's got a few authors, Nick Mehta, Dan Steinman, and Lincoln Murphy. But it's about this emerging field called customer success. You know, most software companies make the majority of their annual revenue from existing customers, right? It's kind of this new business model where you've got recurring revenue from your customer base. And if you can keep growing that customer base, then your revenue is exponential. And I'll just say that there, there is a lot of benefit that comes with subscriptions, particularly software. You know, it used to be that like, if we're talking business to business software, a company, if they wanted a software, they used to have to buy an incredibly expensive software package and they would have to have their own servers and get that all set up at their headquarters and have someone from the software company come configure everything and then like hire an IT guy who could maintain the system. And every time there's a software update, they'd have to have somebody come install that for them. So there were huge upfront costs. But to a certain degree, once you paid that upfront cost, then it's yours. You own it. So now with the new model, you know, the, con- 
the consumer in business-to-business software takes on less risk. They don't have to put in all that initial investment. So it's kind of a win for them in that way. And the provider, the software creator, gets to have you potentially forever. They get this continual revenue stream from you. So anyways, we don't, we don't need to go too far down that rabbit hole. But when you talk about individuals, you know, 30 years ago, people didn't have subscriptions. Like every once in a while, you would find somebody with a magazine subscription or a gym membership. But if we look at just like media and entertainment, let's say we don't look at anything else, just media and entertainment. How many subscriptions do you think people typically have on average? Uh, I honestly don't know. I'd probably say somewhere like five, maybe five to ten. And that still seems like and that still seems like a pretty high number to me. Yeah, and I think I'd probably guess something similar if I hadn't seen the data that I had. <laughs> Millennials have an average of 17 Ooh. each. Wow. And that's just media and entertainment subscriptions. And you might think like, oh, well, Millennials, blah, blah, blah. But Gen X has 13 on average. And even Boomers have eight. Wow. So just think about it. You've got like your internet that you're paying for each month. You might have just for TV, you've got cable, perhaps Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Hulu, Disney Plus, YouTube TV. Breaking Down Collapse Patreon account. (laughs) Shameless plug. (laughs) And then you think about like gaming, maybe it's Xbox Live or you've got games on your phone that you're continually paying for. There's digital newspapers and there's magazine subscriptions and you talk about music. Maybe you've got Spotify or Pandora and people almost always underestimate how many subscriptions they have. Yeah. Makes me want to go check my bank account because I'm sure I've got several that I didn't realize. Yeah. In fact, there's some really interesting data since you bring that up around what people think they're paying on a monthly basis and what they're actually paying. (laughs) And there's a big discrepancy there. So that was just entertainment and media, but think beyond that. You've got like gym memberships and at-home workout programs. You know, there's food memberships. There's things like Blue Apron or HelloFresh. Maybe you've heard of those. There's like Dollar Shave Club, you know, for grooming products. Uh, I know people who use something called Quip, which is like you get new toothbrushes and toothpaste Mm -hmm. sent to you every month. I keep seeing ads for the one where... um... It's, it's for like manscaping <laughs> and the, the commercials are always super cheesy. And it's some guy talking about like how clean his junk is. Yeah. And they're, they're booming, right? They, they're getting more and more customers. I know of somebody, a friend of a friend who actually owns a business that is a subscription model for car air fresheners made for men. <laughs> Oddly specific. Yeah. So, We've got all these subscriptions, right? There's clothing. If you've ever heard of like Stitch Fix, there's cosmetics, makeup, right? Ipsy. And we're kind of getting to this point where much of what we consume, we're dependent on these subscriptions. But you can look at it a different way and you could say even some of the things we really rely on that we couldn't do without are a subscription, like utilities, Mm. right? Water, sewer, you've got your electricity, gas, you know, even garbage. And frankly, it makes sense to specialize and pool things together because, again, things are less expensive and more convenient. You can operate at scale, right? Imagine having to treat your own water or generate your own electricity. Find a place to take your own garbage. Yeah, exactly. But it just goes back to the fact that we are extremely dependent. Let's say there's an extended power outage and it's the middle of winter or maybe there's 
a shortage on natural gas or whatever. If you're like most people, you don't have any other way to create heat. You don't have a wood-burning stove or a fireplace in your home, and you can't just create the electricity to heat your house. The point is that we rely on other people and systems to keep us afloat. And we've talked a little bit about subscriptions, but we haven't even mentioned like the gig economy. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that in a future episode. But things like Lyft and Uber just to get around, or there's like TaskRabbit, if you've ever heard of that, you can just hire random people to do whatever tasks you need. And what this does is it means that we have more than ever, we have more luxuries than we've ever had, but we're becoming less and less skilled and well-rounded as individuals. And frankly, we aren't really capable of taking care of ourselves. So what it's doing is like people don't know how to cook. They're either going to restaurants or when they go to the grocery store, they're buying like these prepared meals. People don't know how to fix their car. Apparently 36% of people don't know the first thing about even how to fix a flat tire. And a quarter of people don't know how to jumpstart their car. You know, people nowadays don't often do their own home repairs. Apparently in the 70s, they say 70% of men learned basic home repairs from their dads or from shop class. But now it's half of that. You know, uh, you probably don't know how to sew. Maybe I'm making an assumption here. (laughs) I can sew a button back onto a shirt. That's, That's about as far as I can get with sewing. Nice. You're actually ahead of apparently much of the population if you look at the research but people don't know how to sew they don't know how to like can food for food storage or preserve food if they need to they don't know how to grow food and frankly it usually doesn't make sense to even learn how to do those things because of the system that we have right it's it's cheaper and it's more convenient to rely on others yeah, you know, growing up, my dad would try and show me he was really into rebuilding uh, his Jeep's engine, and he couldn't get me out there no matter how, how hard he tried. I would look at an engine, and I would just shut down. Like, it's just one of those things that my mind did not want to learn about. And I remember just thinking, I want to be rich, and if for no other reason, so that I can pay other people to fix my car, and I never want to have to look at it. I don't want to learn how to do an oil change. I don't want to learn how to do any of that. I just want to be able to pay someone to take care of that so I never have to think about it. And honestly, like, I'm not wealthy, but if I was and if I could pay someone to, like, clean my house and cook my meals, I probably would because I value that time, time that I could be spending with my family, you know. So I get why it is the way that it is, but it's also sad because not only are we losing those skills, but we also lose sort of the value of that hard work and realizing what it takes to get by in a normal world. And I say normal, meaning not this sort of crazy consumerist lifestyle that we've built for ourselves. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I, I love the way you said that, and it's spot on. Again, we've traded our independence for convenience. And it doesn't make sense for me to learn how and to take the time to patch a hole in my sock when I can go buy a new pair of socks for three bucks, right? And that will last half as long as a nice pair that you could have knit yourself if you knew how. Yeah. So yeah, let's say your appliance breaks down. Are you going to research and find out what's wrong with it on your own and find the part that you need to fix it? I mean, oftentimes the cost of ordering the new part is almost as much as just replacing it. So that actually kind of leads into the next thing, which is a term, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it's called planned obsolescence. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, I think so. Um, Is it like where basically like iPhone plans for their phones to break after a certain amount of time. So you have to buy a new one. Yeah. Good example. And by the way, I own an iPhone and I know you're really (laughs) against Apple. Samsung does the same. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll get into some of those specific examples, but that's exactly it. Planned obsolescence. If you go look it up online, you're going to see a definition that reads something like this. It's a policy of producing consumer goods that rapidly become obsolete and so require replacing, achieved by frequent changes in design, termination of the supply or spare parts, and the use of non-durable materials. So that's just a long way of saying sometimes those that design and manufacture products have the same goal as a subscription company or a subscription business model, right? Their ultimate goal is to make you buy products again and again. So this is where it gets fascinating. There is a light bulb called the Centennial Bulb. It's at a fire station in California, and it has been shining almost nonstop for 119 years. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and it's not the brightest bulb. It's kind of dimmed over time, and they've done some things to just kind of make sure it can continue, but they haven't changed anything to the bulb itself. In fact, there's a webcam that streams live video of it. And who knows, there's probably some subscription out there where you can go pay to watch the live. (laughs) Contribute to its Patreon account. (laughs) Yeah. In 2015, there was actually a big party for this light bulb. It was the 1 million hour party. It had been on for 1 million hours. Wow. And you might think like, wait a minute. If there was technology that long ago that could cause a light bulb to last for almost 120 years, then why do I have to replace the bulbs in my house every few years? And that actually leads to this big scandal that happened in the 1920s. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's called the Phoebus Cartel. And there's evidence that representatives from a number of top light bulb manufacturers all got together and colluded to artificially reduce the lifetime of light bulbs, and specifically to reduce it to 1,000 hours, which meant for them repeated sales right? They can maximize their profits. They did kind of all gang up to make a worse mousetrap, right? To to make a product that's going to break so that we have to buy more of them. And like most cartels, it kind of unraveled after 15 years or so. But people say it was kind of a milestone in the market. And I'll just say that my dad is actually a product designer. He designs exercise equipment. And, you know, I've brought this up to him and And he does a good job of saying, like, usually it's not a group of people in some dark room conspiring to make products that will break soon. But what's more common is just that a company says, well, it's more costly to make something more durable. So let's cut some costs, knowing that it's probably not going to last all that long as a product. 
But if you think of other examples, textbooks, they will produce a new edition year after year. And usually there's only slight changes to it, right? But it's a way to make sure people have to buy the newest edition. You mentioned the iPhones and there was like this big thing a couple of years ago where people were claiming that iPhones were slowing down and and Apple said like, oh, well, it's to preserve the battery life and who knows. But you even get it with things like fast fashion, if you've ever heard of that, like H&M, trying to make sure things go in and out of style really quickly so you'll keep coming back to the store. Or like ink cartridges for your printer that stop working before you've used up all the ink before they're supposed to. So what this does is it not only makes us really dependent and we have to keep coming back for more, but it also makes us really wasteful. And for some things, it's fine, right? Like you probably wouldn't want your brick cell phone from the 90s to last for 40 years because it's soon obsolete. But we're at a point where people often don't really care if their cell phone battery isn't going to be able to hold a charge in three years. And so we're just burning through product. We buy more and more and we're filling up the landfills. And taking precious metals that there's little love for things like cell phones and filling the world with microplastics, which we'll do a whole episode on. And yeah, it's fascinating. I often think about consumerism and I think the problem is that we're just so addicted to buying that we keep buying all this stuff. So manufacturers keep making it, but it's a super important point that it's made specifically to break so that we continue to buy more and at great cost to the environment, to our resources And it contributes in creating a a fragile supply chain and, frankly, a dumber people. Yeah, I love that point. And I don't want to go too far down the path of talking about planned obsolescence. But it's important to know that it's not always just making a product that is less durable. Sometimes it's causing what they call prevention of repair, right? For example, like if I wanted to replace the battery in my cell phone, I would probably need special tools just to do it. You know, or sometimes it's just perceived obsolescence, like we talked about with fashion. You look at auto manufacturers, and usually, you know, the 2018 model of your car isn't really any different from the 2019 model or the 2020 model. Maybe they changed like the headlights or something, but it just goes back to this trend in consumerism where in a capitalist society, businesses have their motives, and we love the convenience that comes from depending so heavily on what they can continually produce for us. But all of this kind of leads to a certain lack of independence that to me is even more scary, which is a lack of financial independence. So similar to what we've talked about with subscriptions and the trend we're doing there, there's this trend where we are buying more and more things that we can't afford. And usually that includes just putting stuff on a payment plan, right? Your house is already on a payment plan. Your car probably is on a payment plan. But now even like the furniture you buy, usually they'll say, oh, it's just this much a month. And if you go to the store and buy a TV, they'll find a way to get you paying a monthly price or even like the swing set in your backyard or the new countertops or whatever it is. We're kind of addicted to, hey, I don't want to put up the upfront cost of this. Let's just put it on a payment plan. Yeah, if I can get six months, no APR or whatever, then it's like great free money. And it's interesting because debt is a powerful tool, but our society has got to a point where it's just way over leveraged and for people who can't afford it. Yeah, again, trading our independence for convenience. And you know, some some of the reason why people buy things they can't afford is because they don't make enough money to meet their basic needs. But that's not usually the case. Usually it's keeping up with the Joneses, right? I want to appear that I have the best of the best. Or it's just another kind of keeping up, which is, hey, all my friends have it. I deserve that too. 
not necessarily for appearances, but sometimes we just feel entitled or envious. So you've probably heard statistics over and over again so much that your mind is numb to them, but just think about how shocking this really is. 53% of Americans don't have an emergency fund. Hmm. That's like anything, like not even a hundred bucks, zero dollars. Good question. As I looked around online, there's there's lots of different studies and areas of research where they've looked at this and some of them define it differently. It's always somewhere around that range, but often what they say is you couldn't come up with the money to cover a $1,000 expense. Okay. Like an emergency. Wow. You know, they say 49% of people are living paycheck to paycheck, which basically just means each month your expenses are as high as your income. You know, Americans carry on average over $6,000 in credit card debt. Hmm. Would you think about the interest rates on those? It's, it's ludicrous. astronomical. Yeah. And Americans owe a collective $1.54 trillion in student debt. And with how rapidly it's increasing, that number might even be outdated. Yeah, I actually saw a tweet today from Bernie Sanders that it was up to $1.7 trillion. See, it's just insane. We've lost our financial independence to such a degree that everyone's living on the edge of their budget. And if something were to happen, there's no cushion there. There's no buffer. Right? So when we talk about subscriptions... And the way that we're giving up our independence for convenience. And we talk about planned obsolescence and we talk about our lack of financial independence and just the complexity of our society. What it boils down to is that like this is a major point of vulnerability. It's not necessarily what would cause collapse to happen, but we've already talked about a lot of ways that collapse can happen. It's not the first domino, it's the second one. That if there are major issues caused by the political system or by our financial system or whatever, we're so ill-prepared to handle those. Yeah, I've actually had a couple different really interesting insights while you've been talking. So one thing I realized, you know, a lot of the way our system is set up is meant to specifically make the rich richer and keep the poor poor, right? And this seems no different because you notice things like, I mean, rent itself is an idea of the subscription model. You don't actually own it. You're just paying someone to continually use the product or service. And you, you also notice that things like credit card debt and this desire to, to be able to have what everyone else has, but without paying for it all up front, you pay for it either through debt or through a subscription. And that does specifically sort of affect the poor a lot more. Another really interesting thought I had was that when we think about like, poor nations and the way they live, and then compared to us and the poor people here in America or in the West, I've always kind of been confused, I guess, a little bit, thinking that maybe the reason someone in Africa can, can get by on a few dollars a day and someone here can make $25,000 a year and be in poverty and homeless, and, and I'm like, is it just because... Like either rent or mortgages are so high. Like what? what's the reason for that? Is it just cost of living? As you've talked, I've realized that cost of living in the U.S., it's, it's almost not cost of living. It's cost of convenience. And everybody wants that convenience. And it's not necessarily an individual choice. It's not that someone's decided that they're not going to know how to do all these things that they need to do to be able to be independent. It's just that our culture over time has caused us to lose that. So in order to live, our cost of living has increased because we have to pay someone to make our food for us, right? We have to pay someone to deliver our water to our house. You know, those types of things that if we knew how to do ourselves, if we could grab a bucket, you know, dip it into the river, put it on our heads and walk it back to our house, that we could get by without having to spend the money on that. 
like they might in another part of the world. But we don't have that option. If you live in a city, you don't have a river to take that bucket to. It's just it's just that we've weaved this hyper complex system that you like you said takes away from our independence and for that reason our cost of living is so much higher and it puts us on the brink of like you said anything happening and all of that comes crumbling down and we're helpless yeah that's exactly it like when you really think about it it's kind of terrifying and the path that we're headed on is toward even less independence even more reliance on the people and systems around us And each generation is teaching the next generation even less when it comes to life skills. And we haven't even talked about the dependence that we're developing on technology. You know, I thought about it and I'm like, if my cell phone died, what would I do? You know, most of the recipes that we cook from, we just look them up online. If my cell phone died, I'd have to go try and dig up a recipe book. Hopefully we got one somewhere. If I needed to like get to my brother's house who lives a few states away, I wouldn't know his address. I don't have it written down anywhere. It's in my phone. And then I wouldn't be able to get there because even if I knew the address, because I don't own a map. And do I really know how to follow a map? No, I know how to follow a GPS system on my phone. Right. We don't even remember phone numbers anymore. Birthdays. Facebook does that for us. We've lost not just a cultural touch, but but a very essential need of being able to store information, recall that information, and use that information to do something vital. And we just put that all into technology. Exactly. And, you know, one counterpoint when we talk about all the things that we rely on is the fact that as it stands right now, because there are so many things that we rely on and it's so entrenched in the system, if one of those things fails you, you can go find a replacement, right? Even like entertainment and media, If Netflix fails me, I can turn to Hulu. You're likely already paying for both. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So there are so many options out there right now. And again, there's lots of benefits to this lifestyle. We're living with more convenience and luxury than ever before. But when it comes to anything large scale, anything systematic, we are so reliant. If we go all the way back to the beginning of this episode when we're talking about the food example, right? Like what would you need to do to produce your own food? We saw when the COVID-19 pandemic hit that grocery store shelves were empty and people were able to patch things together and make it by, but that was for such a short period of time. And the supply chains were still there. There was just a little bit of a delay, but imagine if something more critical happened. There are a lot of people, I'd say the majority of people who instantly wouldn't be able to get by on their own. They would have to find somebody to swoop in and save the day. And the sad thing is, I think that most people think that there is someone that will swoop in and save the day, right? They think if there was a disaster, the government will be there for us. FEMA will come save us. But in a large scale situation like you're talking about, yeah, that's not going to happen. You even saw the failure of FEMA in something like Katrina in in New Orleans, right? And it's interesting because in catabolic collapse, um, where we talk about it happening kind of as a staircase. We go down this staircase and it's maybe a little more gradual. It's not one big event. It's still just as catastrophic and it wouldn't take necessarily anything huge to trigger it. I mean, you've talked about how fiscally on edge we are as people, but we've also seen that corporations are fiscally on edge as well. The subscription model isn't just negative for us. It's also negative for companies because they rely on the consistent subscriptions coming in for their cash flow in order to stay alive. If there's an economic downturn that's severe, we can just use the one we're going through right now as an example. Companies are going out of business because their subscriptions are slowing down. People are thinking, how can we cut our budgets? How can we save a little bit of money? 
And as they do that and the subscriptions stop coming in, companies go under. And so if in catabolic collapse, this continues to happen and the economy continues to get worse, it's a self-enforcing feedback loop. And eventually you get to a point where those supply chains start to fall apart, even critical ones, just because they rely so heavily on enough people putting enough money into it to keep it alive, um, that there is a tipping point in which it's not sustainable anymore. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I had some thoughts, even as you were saying that, you know, I saw a statement from somebody online and they were referring to what's going on with the pandemic. And they were like, hold on, we as individuals are supposed to have enough of an emergency budget that we can get by. But these big corporations are so poorly managed that within like a week or two, they're having to get bailed out by the government. So like you said, it's a large scale thing across the board. Everyone is so vulnerable. You know, another thing that came to mind is actually just a couple of days ago, somebody that I know owns a manufacturing facility where they do like injection molding. And he said the material, the resin, the plastics, you know, the ABS or the polypropylene or whatever it is that they use. He said, this has been a terrible year. And I thought he was talking about the pandemic, but he said actually the hurricanes because almost all of the raw material that they get to do the plastic injection molding comes from down around the Gulf of Mexico. And each time a hurricane comes through, those producers of those raw materials have to shut down. And so there's all these disruptions in the supply chain just from that. And so then it works its way up the chain. And this person who was who I was talking to can't fulfill orders, you know, and, and that's for something like plastic products. But we have those same fragile supply chains for things as essential as food and medical supplies. You know, and as we talk about all of this, these conversations, I'm just so grateful for them and everything that I'm learning because it's making me realize that I fall into the same trap, that in so many ways I'm so dependent. I want to have a cushion for when an emergency comes or for when collapse really takes place. And so I know that I personally have been taking some steps to try and be more prepared, but that is actually kind of a good segue for where we are going to be headed next week. So do you want to introduce that topic, Corey? Yeah, excellent. I think this has been perfect because it's really highlighted our vulnerability. It's really highlighted how dependent we are individually, not just as a society, but when you think about yourself and and what you rely on, it makes you question, well, what can I do to detach myself from that dependence? How can I become more independent? What can I do to be prepared? And so next week, we'll talk about preparedness. We'll highlight a lot of the differences that um, I think comes from being what we call in the collapse community resilient and resilience instead of sort of the prepper mentality. I think a lot of what preppers do is great, but I think I approach it from a very different perspective. And so I'm really excited to introduce that and to talk about that next week. And so maybe my challenge would be for this week, while we're waiting for that episode to roll out, for all of our listeners and even Kellen and I, just to consider throughout the week, what things are we doing that rely on the system to function properly? And what can we do to wean ourselves off of that? And I am so excited for that conversation. Yeah, I look forward to it as well. Kellen, thank you so much for this episode. It's been awesome. You put a lot of work into this one, and I think it was super valuable. As always, thanks to you guys for listening in. Your feedback is always welcome. You can reach out to me at CollapsePod on Twitter or at CoreyJohn on Reddit. And by the way, feel free to check out our Patreon link. It's in the description. Any support you can give is always welcome and appreciated. And have a great week.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.